When you think about business competition, where are you focused? Your town, your state, across the country? You need to be concerned with competitors around the world. Welcome to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. Today, you'll hear about the mega trends in global business and how they affect your organization, as well as explore issues, solutions, and some amazing facts about business worldwide. Now, here is your host, Mahesh Joshi. Welcome to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. I have with me today J.R. Klein, and we are going to talk about carbonomics, the carbon economics. How is the climate change and the actions to counter the climate change are aligning with capitalism? Are they in conflict mode? or they are working in unison and will work in unison to create opportunities in future for business, global trade, global business, as well as economies, and at the same time, take care of all the issues associated with decarbonization. I have with me uh, J.R. Klein, who is a principal of J.R. Global, a consulting firm, uh, dedicated to facilitating global transformation through local initiatives, that strengthen markets by emphasizing leadership and systematic, systemic change. He has been active in social impact finance for more than 40 years. That's almost four decades. Mr. Klein is an Oxford University Press published author, thinker, and an artist. He has expertise in organizational structure, cultural sensitivity, pragmatic leadership, planning, and social impact. His expertise is recognized globally. Hi, JR. Hey, Mahesh. How are you today? I'm doing good. And JR, uh, thank you for joining uh, uh, the show today. Last episode was uh, very interesting. Uh, Eye-opener, what's happening in the world of decarbonization, why decarbonization is so important, and uh, why it is so important for everybody. And we talked about a lot of things last time, just to recapitulate that uh, what's the size of global decarb initiatives, how many financial assets are needed to do that, and what is the value of planned assets to do it, and uh, what is decarb, why it is needed, when it is needed, and who is responsible. And some of the things we discussed last time was uh, uh, some of the news items we shared, like England recorded highest excess mortality figures from heat waves, you know, uh, and as compared to 2004, uh, in the last year, which is 2020, in the country recorded 2,803 excess deaths among those age 65 above uh, during summer heat waves. That was from UK Health Security Agency. So now the, in the impact of uh, the, deca- the decarbonization, why it is needed, the impact of greenhouse gases on the environment it is not only reflected in uneven weather, weather patterns, but a direct impact on the temperature rise and how it is directly impacting a part of the human race, which in this case were major 65 and above. And beyond that, we saw how many places got floods. Pakistan got flooded because of the environmental changes and the climate changes it caused. And these are two of the examples but so many things happen across the world which are impacting, which has decided or made the whole world look at why we should act on decarbonizing the world 
to maintain by 2050 the temperature rise to 1.5 degrees C. And I picked up these two examples. This is not the, the, that that's not the end of it. There are so many people which happened when the rivers flooded in Venezuela. And, you know, there's a lot of other things which happened in many places. We did talk about how the prime uh, Paris climate accord came into place, how COP26 happened. And as we talk, COP27 is in place and the governments are aligned, people are aligned. Everybody knows what is the impact because they're feeling it, that how much it has impacted us, how much it is impacting our day-to-day -day living. It is increasing the electricity bill, it is heating, cooling. The weather patterns which are shifting is, is impossible to fathom 30 years ago. Nobody thought about it, this would happen. And we did share last time also the floods which happened in Germany and the impact of that even in uh, Netherlands where it is impacting and driving probably a mortgage crisis that as the houses are sinking and they're tilting, people are just leaving them and going away and leaving the house with no value. So there is no salvage value for that. So to counter all of these devastating impacts of climate change on human race, the governments and people have aligned, including United Nations, and then we talked about various major countries, how they've aligned. Out of all the countries, more than 130 countries have now aligned, which gives almost 80% aligned on the net zero goal, which actually is 1.5 degree C temperature rise as compared to the pre-industrial uh, generation, how we achieve by 2050. A lot of things are going to happen. Uh, emission reduction, as well as keeping the economy going, but carbon sequestering. That if it is available in the atmosphere and you cannot stop everything which is emitting carbon because if we try to take out all the greenhouse gas emission, we may stall the global economy, it may dramatically change the lives together, all the NGOs have got together, all the financial institutions have got together, and they've decided how they will go after it. Investment needed for that net zero target, humongous. It is, it is $270 trillion. Now, between now and 2050, if you look at our current GDP, the current global GDP, it is almost three times the current global GDP. So there is a, a big problem. It is really a big challenge, but I would say there is a huge response from our race. Where governments are aligned, private sector is aligned, innovation is aligned, research institutions are aligned, and everybody knows that this is the main cause of environmental impact and causing climate change, creating calamities for us, and it needs to be addressed. So having uh, walked through this preamble from the last time, I would like to go with your thought process, JR, for this show, that how it is going to move forward and what all we expect to see. Uh, yes, uh, thank you, Mahesh. That was a good um, sort of a run-up to this, you know. Um, 
we we uh, we we are at the place where we have some really interesting phenomenon happen inside of this um, what I'm going to call global narrative around um, decarbonization uh, around climate change. You know, despite the many proofs uh, that are addressing the urgency of decarbonization and the challenge that's associated with it. Um, no matter no matter what the encouraging signs are, uh, national and international politics still still are pretty far behind in in achieving their targets that you talked about. Uh, there is skepticism among among many uh, credible sources that this idea of complete carbonization cannot be achieved in the 21st century, not just by 2050, but in, 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 in the whole 21st century. And the reason for that uh, are, are, are varied and really very complex. And I'm going to just try, as we talked about really at the end of our discussion last time, we're going to try to, um, I'm going to try to, to sort of put these into just a number of points and then, and then we'll go on to, to another, another discussion. That's very good. Um, so, so why is there this skepticism? Uh, the the first one is very simple: the capital that's required, you know, for for investment and for the establishing of new infrastructure. The capital requirements will be. Uh, uh, big, very big, uh, and and looking at where that comes from and how we get there. Uh, if you began to talk about government, well, besides climate, governments that are, are still embroiled in and struggling with the solving of various issues associated with uh, with health insurance and and. Uh, uh, paying pensions in the future, uh, educational improvements, and you 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 name you know go country to country, and you have a whole list of things that really need to be addressed that needs that that need to be prior prioritized in some way. Uh, the next part of that capital requirement is that profitability of the required investment in this energy area will not be very highly highly profitable uh, at least at least at the beginning that uh, is very true i think that's a very important point you bring in yes yeah and and secondly uh, again and we know this and we see some we see some changes here but the energy energy sector's priorities uh, need to be uh, reformatted it, it's interesting uh, you can look at uh, energy companies, and not to the last one, but but there very there's a significant number who really have come out with fairly strong energy policies. Uh, you know, they've come out and said we're going to do this by this year. We're we're going to we're we're really going to have have um, uh, have a, a, a climate friendly approach to this, and 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 all those are good, but. You know, the old axiom of it's not the values that you espouse, it's the message that you send. Uh, 
An example for that is that um, uh, fossil fuel uh, extraction efforts uh, within the last uh, decade have actually increased, <laughs> not decreased. Yeah. Uh, the burning of fossil fuels uh, has, in in some areas, have some significant changes have been made, but but mainly those fossil fuels uh, are not are not uh, really going away. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, why, why that is not happening. Uh, the third point is um, really uh, at, the, at, the, at the beginning of our, our conversation uh, today, you're talking about all the things that are happening in the political uh, environment. And so um, uh, many of those environmental policies, uh, they're often inconsistent even inside of, of, of national boundaries. You know, uh, there, they are these policies around, uh, around, for example, I'm just going to give the United States, there's these, these policies around uh, environment that, that were very strong at, at one time. Uh, but what has happened is the money, the capital that is needed to kind of maintain that, that sort of pressure uh, to move to, and I'm going to use an Oxford term that's sort of uh, carbon neutral, uh, um, you know, environment. Uh, a lot of times, those policies are inconsistent. We've taken we've taken money away from those policies, and in that same time, <laughs> in that same time, the subsidy in the United States for fossil yeah. fuels for fossil fuels has actually increased. And, and so, uh, in, in in that case, it's not what you say you're going to do, but it's the message that you give. That and that draws us to the fourth point, uh, which is really a critical piece inside of this, I believe, and that is that political uh, calibration, that, that the lobbying efforts, the sort of the rise of populism, and and the amount of corruption, not in the United States only, but around the world, often makes often makes implementation of required policies impossible or, or, or really causes the, the regression of that decarbonization process. And then and then the one you ended with, which I think is is a, another uh, trying to think of a good adjective, but it's a, it's another big challenge. The world's population for the most part is not yet ready, for the changes in energy use and lifestyle that are that really are necessary to make some significant impact, large part of the population uh, has a, a um, it is it's difficult to to change their current lifestyle, like giving up certain comforts and uh, that they enjoy due to uh, uh, the the state of uh, of energy, the low low energy prices. Uh, they're hard to give up. Um, that is very true. I think you 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 have given a very valid point here. I would call it that. Let's say uh, in last uh, twenty years or so, gradually the alignment in people's mind and governments have come up. So it could be a situation where uh, uh, people are properly motivated, but execution is a challenge. So that's where we are. Jer, we are at the end of our segment one. We'll take a short break and we'll continue our discussion in second segment. 
comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. For the past two years, Global Business with Mahesh Joshi has been a top-rated program on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, with its popularity growing, he has converted many of the concepts discussed on the show into an easy-to-read book from Oxford University Press, one of the top publishers in the world. Place your order for the book, Global Business, at mkjgb.com. Act now, and as a special offer, you'll receive a signed copy of the book by the author, Mahesh Joshi. Order today at mkjgb.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. To reach the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's worldwide access to 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to maheshjoshi.82 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. You're listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. Today, we have our guest, you have Klein, and we are talking about uh, carbonomics, how the carbon economics in the age of decarbonization working. Uh, JR, we had a very interesting discussion in the first segment. You brought in a very important point. Let's pick up on some of them. Power absolutely is the most important part because without that, no development can take place. And second was some of, in, some of infrastructure things, industries like cement and steel. But let's look just at the power. Now, we cannot replace all the assets in power industry. It's very difficult. By the time we do it, what would be the stranded assets? If you just look at all the power plants, we go with hydrogen and biofuels and others and hydrogen and uh, methanols and ammonia. But what happens to the assets which we have? Now, these, this transition could lead to a lot of asset stranding, where physical assets are probably retired or grossly underutilized unless a technology comes in that a power plant is being used now in some other way, new innovation comes in, some heat source or something, otherwise it's a a stranded asset. So how do you get that kind of capital? If you look at the net zero transition, which is 1.5 by 2050, the capital stock associated with fossil fuels and the emission, it's worth many, many trillions of dollars. And, and, and it is a significant share of the global capital stock. And it depends on where the assets are, how many there are. Now, there is some estimations that if you looked only at the power, mostly these are thermal and other gas and all. Uh, In power alone, the estimation is that by 2050, if you went with this plan, $2.1 trillion worth of assets would be stranded. And almost 80% of them are directly related to fossil fuel. And mostly I would put that as coal-fired. Because in countries like China and India, which have been growing very fast, they are relatively new. In U.S., the coal plant or in developed economies of Europe, 
the coal-fired power plants were being replaced by gas and nuclear and other things. But China and India, they have relied on their growth on those assets, and those are coal-fired. Now, there's another picture which comes in here. These assets, which could be stranded, are already capitalized on the balance sheets of those companies. And if you retire them early, these assets could potentially lead to reduction of the value. And if that happens, their capability to borrow money from the market for the working capital, many other things, may be at risk. And it can create credit defaults. I'm not saying it will create a lot of bankruptcies, but yes, there's a chance of that. And if that happens, can it have a potential uh, with a knock-on effect for a for, for global financial system? Can it still work? Because the, the value is so big. Now, definitely markets will look at those assets and 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 uh, if you are listed in a company, you are a listed company, a stock exchange, the market will start responding sooner than that takes place. So this, uh, the, the, the chance of stranded assets can create a risk for the financial markets. And now you look at the, some other markets, which is, let's say mobility. Last time we, we discussed in last episode that there are around 1.4 billion cars in the world, internal combustion engine cars are in the world, can be replaced by EVs. Let's say by 2050, they could all be, could all be done. But there's a cost associated with it. Currently, EVs are much costlier than IECs, internal engine, uh, where they're using internal combustion engine. It would fall. But how about the strong components of the global growth, which is steel and cement, beyond power. Power is one part of it. Now, this is quite a investment. And if you do carbon capture for them or you put new technologies on it, it is estimated that the steel and cement sector, the production costs could rise anywhere anywhere between one third, which is like 33% to 50% from the current levels. The, the delivered cost of electricity definitely will go up because as uh, the, the alternate power methods are coming, which is solar and wind and all that, initially power will go up, that's a trend, but then it'll come down. So the, the global average for delivered cost of electricity, including all generation, transmission, distribution, storage, because now battery storage and all are coming into place. So it will fall from the peak, but the peak would come. So we have not seen the peak yet as, as the transition starts taking acceleration. Now, who will bear that cost? And it will be front-loaded because you'll have operating costs, you'll have cap capital costs, and, and depreciation of the old assets, the existing assets which are getting stranded, as well as new. So what it says is the front-end cost, which could be almost 25% higher between now and by the time we reach uh, the full uh, impact of what we are trying to achieve with net zero. And to summarize, the two, two main reasons are there's an investment needed. The investment needed, big investment, renewables, grid, storage, and then there's a cost of capital 
and 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 second is uh, is the fossil fuel based power assets would contribute to incur capital costs but they are either not utilized or retired because they were already in place so the situation with that can it be inflationary that if the if the if the front end cost and even let's say simple cost power cost is going up it impacts everything and as uh, some of the market research says between now and 2050 if we execute all the plans unless there is some a uh, a uh, uh, earth shattering new innovation comes in the power cost between now and 2050 will be higher by 20% so can we count that as a contribution to the inflation and how would economy survive because right now we are going through inflationary phase as it is which is because of covid because of many other geopolitical situations so that's what i wanted to bring in because you brought in a very good point starting with power that's a very good um, a very good little dissertation and and that that itself leads us uh to an enormous challenge and so that is that inevitably there there is going to be a clash between capitalism and the climate uh, ah, I, and i think that's I, a very good point that is that's like that is like the the overarching umbrella of 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 your uh, of your uh, your your conversation your comments here you know i i'm going to recommend a book to you this is a book called uh this changes everything and it's capitalism versus climate uh the author is uh, is naomi klein uh, uh no relation uh but uh, she is a, a journalist uh, and and this is a book uh that actually was published in 2014 so you know it's coming up on almost uh, uh 10 years old but it really talks about this this climate versus capitalism piece and and she says she says some things that that are very interesting we we uh we've not done the things that are necessary to 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 lower emissions because those things fundamentally conflict with this idea of uh deregulated capitalism and uh she calls it the reign of i i ideology uh for the entire period uh that uh, we've been struggling with uh finding a way out of this climate crisis uh we're we're kind of stuck because the action that would give us the best chance of averting uh, this catastrophe uh would benefit the vast majority that are being threatened uh to uh, the to an influential minority uh that has influence and control over climate policy media and and another other things in other words in other words uh, they there's a value that is being attributed based upon capitalization to uh, a, a smaller group of our world population and uh uh changes in in what the status quo is is going to be very threatening there and i give just give an example here this idea 
uh, of, of just just the this changing or this this accepting of the message of of uh, global warming. Um, one one of the most interesting findings that in our in, in my research, one of the most interesting findings uh, of many of the relatively recent studies on climate perceptions the, on, on climate perceptions, I'm sorry, uh, the, uh, is that the clear connection between, uh, a refusal to accept the science of climate change and social and economic privilege. And, and I find that very interesting because, you know, I'm sort of a sociologist at heart, even though, uh, even though I think I, I maybe I don't hide it well, <laughs> that, you know, uh, that seems to be behind the abrupt rise in climate change denial uh, uh, within the last probably the last two decades primarily among what I what uh, Ms. Klein would call hardcore conservatives you know it really started in earnest we started this climate conversation in 1950 and so mm -hmm. and so we're out a ways from that you know we're we're darn near what 70 years out from that maybe and and uh, the 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 uh, the what she calls conservatives or what I would probably call the um, the 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 socially uh, economically uh, maybe privileged they understand that as soon as as they admit that climate change is real they're beginning to lose sort of that central ideological battle of our time. And mm -hmm. uh, Mahesh, you and I have talked about this a, a little bit, and, and that is that that uh, whether that battle is whether we need to plan and manage our society to reflect our goals and values, or whether the tasks of that should be left to sort of the magic of the market. Uh, some very interesting uh, uh, research here, uh, uh, sort of in, inside of that, is uh, comes out of Yale. Yale researchers explained that it, it seems as though people with strong egalitarian and communitarian worldviews, that is, that is the uh, an inclination toward collective action and and social justice and concerns about inequality and a a super what should I say um, a, a belief uh, mm -hmm. that there has been uh, um, uh, too much uh, uh, corporate power. Uh, these these folks seem to overwhelmingly accept the scientific consensus of climate change. Conversely, uh, those that, uh, according to uh, the Yale studies, what uh, those with strong hierarchical and individualistic viewpoints would be like uh, opposing uh, opposition to government assistance for the poor and minority, uh, strong support of industry, and the belief that 
we all pretty much pretty much get what we deserve, overwhelmingly reject the scientific consensus. And so, and so this this idea of uh, this it's called um, neo. I, I would call it the the, the intellectual term would be uh, neoliberal uh, age that we're in, and and that basically means uh, a free market thinking has, has basically have uh, three pillars. And as I as I talk about these these pillars, uh, Mahesh, I want you to be thinking about. What the challenge is <laughs> inside yeah. of as we move to uh, trying to decarbonize uh, the the first uh, one of those pillars of this sort of um, uh, neo uh, liberal uh, um, uh, con- uh, construction uh, of our economies is uh, private uh, privatization. Uh, of the- That's a good point because these yeah. pillars you're talking are very important ones. Uh, Jay, we are running uh, short of time for uh, this segment. May I kindly request we continue with your thought process three main pillars in our third segment? Absolutely. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. For the past two years, Global Business with Mahesh Joshi has been a top-rated program on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, with its popularity growing, he has converted many of the concepts discussed on the show into an easy-to-read book from Oxford University Press, one of the top publishers in the world. Place your order for the book, Global Business, at mkjgb.com. Act now, and as a special offer, you'll receive a signed copy of the book by the author, Mahesh Joshi. Order today at mkjgb.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. To reach the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's worldwide access to 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to maheshjoshi.82 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. You're listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. We are talking about impact of decarbonization and uh, our guest today JR brought in a very good point in our uh, segment two capitalism and climate and basically uh, how do this capitalism and decarbonization of the whole world relate to each other and would they be working together against each other or neutral so uh, JR in the segment two you talked about the three pillars and can we continue in this segment with your thought process of those three pillars? Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're, um, th- these are the sort of the three policy pillars of this uh, idea of, uh, of free market thinking. And the first one we just mentioned briefly is, uh, is privatization of the, of the public sphere. You see that a lot in a lot of places um, where um, – uh, things that were normally uh, part of the responsibility of government uh, are being are being privatized. I, the one that comes to my mind right away 
is the rail system in uh, in the UK. Uh, you know that was uh, that was a, a public system for uh, generations uh, that has that has been privatized, uh, and now inside of this uh, current uh, this this uh, current challenge, there there's some there's some uh, discussion on on maybe gone in the other direction. The second pillar is uh, a deregulation of the corporate sector, and and uh, Again, I'm I'm uh, I'm reminding you that all of these go back to our 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 conversation here about uh, climate versus capitalism or vice versa. That deregulate deregulation of the corporate sector has been going on uh, really uh, really for quite a long time. Uh, and the third pillar uh, is. Uh, the lowering of income and corporate taxes that are usually paid for uh, from cuts uh, to public spending, which goes right along with the first two pillars because you, you need money to do these kinds of things. And quite interestingly enough, uh, uh, both of these, uh, the, the two previous pillars, uh, instead of... Uh, making, uh, instead of um, uh, reducing the cost to the public sector, actually have done almost uh, the exact opposite. Um, and all of them are sort of, again, looking at our equation, are incompatible with many of the actions that that must be taken to bring our emissions back to the levels that we say we want to bring them. That de the, the destabilization of climate is, is the cost of, of, of deregulating uh, and, and, and global capitalism and, and it's, and it's un, uh, unintended yet unavoidable consequences. And and so this this leads to sort of this inescapable prospect of of reshaping capitalism. Uh, I I call it the battle royale, <laughs> and, and that's the that's the discussion that that we're going to have to get into at one way or another, at one point or another. And I, as I hear myself saying this understand the monumental nature of of uh, of this reshaping and I, as i sit here talking with you today i i, I even wonder if uh, if if it's possible although i i i have a basic belief that it is possible but it will never be an easy thing mhm no, no. So uh, I, I should give you an opportunity to say something because I, 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 my thoughts now are moving toward. Uh, so, so what's what's going on in in this area right now, and what are some of the strategies that that uh, that we're going after? No, that's a very good point. And that's what you need to get into. I just wanted to contribute to what you already said that why capitalism will have to revisit some of. The, the thought process, which are inherent part of capitalism. So uh, job creation. So it's very clear and the cost. 
So the cost of doing business will go up. Can capitalism cope it? Can the inflation be managed? How it will be done? But the most important part is the job sector. Because uh, there are some studies which they say that the transition between now and 2050, the job gain will be in different industry. So there's a, there's a different skill set needed. And there'll be job loss of conventionally already skilled uh, labor force. So there is, uh, uh, the study says that there could be north of 200 million direct and indirect jobs gained, but at the same time, more than 180 million would be lost as a result of net zero transition, which has been modeled mathematically. Now, basically what it does is definitely it sees there is a gain in jobs as compared to loss or net gain that it is coming in. But where are the jobs going? And where it would be? Are we ready? How will we be ready? You know, these characteristics of job loss, how would you prepare? So job gains actually would be largely associated with transition to low emissions forms of production. Renewable power production, batteries, and many other things. Carbon capture, that's another big one which is coming up. But if you look at it, this is a huge number because this could be almost, uh, if you look at the power sector itself, and especially right now it is fossil fuel-based, it is several millions, and this could be a major upheaval in the workforce there, there what kind of talent you need, what kind of skill set development is needed. So you can't use a person who's in, who is into conventional power production and going and working into uh, a battery plant, right? Or moving into an EV, working in those kind of environments. So there will be a huge need for skill development. So uh, I think if if it does taken if it gets taken to other extreme, like uh, livestock and farming, also contribute to greenhouse gas emission. If there is an alternate method of that comes in, what happens to more than 30 million direct jobs, which go into just uh, managing the livestock and and uh, and further derived business which help it, you know, which could just be lost. You know, if suddenly the food habits change, I'm not saying it's going to change suddenly that uh, as they're saying that your food habits, if you change, you, you can control quite a bit of uh, the greenhouse gas emission. So these kind of things we will be seeing uh, very quickly and capitalism uh, gets worried if there are uncertainties and the, the risk associated as you're going, it is all good right now, everybody's focused, but just to keep an eye on the risk and finding solutions and what could be impact on capitalism is that what kind of choices people will make to go to net zero emission. Now, when you're making choices, when I say that, that means, would it be battery storage? Would it be compressed air storage, liquid air storage? How do you, how do you store that uh, energy which is coming from renewables? Maybe something totally different kind of innovation comes into play. But that transition, would it be very uh, seamless? 
that society doesn't get a jerk out of it or it doesn't get shaken or would it be pretty shocking or abrupt you know and and in another piece which uh, capitalism will have to consider is that what kind of uh, actions the stakeholders have to take to to make the adjustment when you're going to net zero transition because they have to take certain actions and which can help in in the first possible risk we can see uh, to make the process seamless and smooth and the the third one which capitalism would be thinking about and definitely normally thrives on it is what is in future because this transition is new it is quite a bit based on innovation it's on research so what kind of challenges would come in future i'm not saying it would be a challenge just for example how to recycle the battery how to increase the battery life something like that and and uh, let's say if we are doing carbon sequestering under the ground which you're doing it some countries some geographies don't allow it some allow it what are the repercussions of that now everything which is being done today is very well thought out the best of the research scientists are involved best of the capital providers involved all the governments are involved so the quality of talent which is going after it is no doubt is at the extreme high end of it this is the top quartile but those two or three kind of uncertainties will make capitalism think about it either they will capitalize on the opportunity and make tons of money for everybody <laughs> or uh some of the actions may get impacted what we're going to do jrs we will continue our discussions in the next segment which is the last segment the segment 4 For the past two years, Global Business with Mahesh Joshi has been a top-rated program on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, with its popularity growing, he has converted many of the concepts discussed on the show into an easy-to-read book from Oxford University Press, one of the top publishers in the world. Place your order for the book Global Business at mkjgb.com. Act now, and as a special offer, you'll receive a signed copy of the book by the author Mahesh Joshi. Order today at mkjgb.com. This is Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. To reach the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's worldwide access to 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to maheshjoshi.82 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. You're listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi and I have with us our guest Ajay Klein and we are in our fourth segment discussing uh, uh decarbonization and capitalism can they thrive together in the new world of carbon economics and this carbon economy is going to be there for a long time now because the goals have been set for 2050 so definitely it it has got a runway of 30 years or more and uh it's it's a pretty defining moment for the human race 
to to care about climate and how do we use the capitalism to do it and would they go hand in hand and how people society governments will react so we we discussed in last segment some of the important aspects of it and yet i would like to capture your thought process that how do you see these continuing in future well i want to i want to uh, sort of go back to what you were talking about before the break here i think there's some really interesting things that research tells us inside of the inside of this envelope of uh, sort of unsurety about what's what's happening in in employment and in uh, in process and so on um you know what insur- what uh, what research tells us about employment is that yes indeed there probably will be a lot of employment uh, that gets lost uh, as a result of the things that have to be done to sort of reshape this capitalism. But it also tells us that the probability for employment is probably much larger uh, than what will be lost. Now, the, the, the trick there is, is that those new jobs will come with a different skill requirement. Uh, and uh, uh, for example, the projections on loss of jobs from uh, from coal. Uh, if you just take coal and compare it with wind power, the potential for employment in wind power, and we're seeing that today, we're seeing the beginnings of that today, uh, are much greater for employment rather than the kind of skill set that was needed to have uh, mine, for mine workers in, a, in coal mines. And, and you know, that, that, that points to uh, what I almost think in in my vocabulary as a sort of the the recurring theme is that uh, being a relevant in the employment market uh, today is not about going to school for for twelve or eighteen or how many years and having a whole box set of 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 tools and then going out into the marketplace and spending them over the next 20 or 30 years it isn't about that anymore it's about being constantly aware of what is happening in the marketplace what is happening employing in employment and being aware of what kinds of skills are necessary uh the 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 worker these days has to always be cognizant of what skills they have in relation to what kind of skills the market is asking for and they have to continually be uh, updating their learning process they have to they have to listen to the market they have to learn from that and then they have to unlearn some of those things and relearn unlearn their their old sets of skills and relearn other sets and and that i think is the primary transition that's going to happen with within that uh because uh if if we look backwards too much we're we're going to kind of uh, back into this uh being unrelevant or and and you so well and and that's the way the economy is actually going to be impacted more negatively uh, but i think you're beginning to see or, or we're not beginning to see we are seeing that that this new 
uh, younger workforce understands that and they're getting into the second thing I would like to talk about uh, based upon your comments is that there's a that, that there is a uh, here I'm gonna I'm gonna use a, a word that I don't use a lot a humongous uh, need mm-hmm. for sort of old model thinking to be reworked inside of this new environment the sort of rethinking about about uh, not just uh, um, what we want to do uh, and 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 what kind of products we need to have. We need to rethink how we can redo our processes and we do redo our thinking, take advantage of those existing resources that are going to that are going to move us to sort of you said this new future. Uh, and I think that it's something that's that's uh, that's inevitable and uh if 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 you if you pay attention to it you can be as i th- probably have said to you before you can be part of history instead of being history uh and so the whole process is yeah, going to take yeah it's going to it's going to take um a, a lot of give and take uh, we we can we've always got to be listening. We always got to be learning, and we always have to be rethinking what our position is. Because any of us, if we're if we're if we're a, a, an energy company, uh, or if we're uh, in extraction, or if we're in, in production, or if we're in government or anything in the private sector, uh, even in just small business, we're always going to have to go through that same process. And uh, uh, we call it. Uh, we called it in our um, uh, our our recent book on on destruction and distraction. We called it the new math, and it's a, a, a basically a new way of thinking. But but uh, this kind of brings me then to the next discussion that I wanted to do is really talk about <clears throat> this idea of what are some of the strategies that we're going to have to be looking at. Uh, uh, when we get into this battle royale, this this dramatic reshaping of capitalism that that is on is on our horizon. Uh, one of the voices inside of this conversation is the uh, uh, the Oxford Institute for Energy Studies. In, in April of twenty one, they 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 put a paper out that really kind of explained uh, that the last two decades have seeing governments uh, 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 adopting decarbonization policy to sort of transition their economies uh, away from this sort of high emission growth pathway. And inside of that process is is basically uh, two prominent approaches that, that, that their policy has taken. The first one is scaling up uh, renewable energy mainly mainly solar and wind in electricity production through targeted policy supporting schemes uh, resulting in technology cost reduction and widespread uptake uh, uh, around the world and the second is is uh, uh, being able to measure that energy use, being able to measure 
improvements in energy use efficiencies. So renewables and efficiencies are the two primary uh, places that they've gone. Uh, in, in combination with these two uh, uh, largest proposal offsets, or largest proposals of offsets of CO2, uh, a mission from uh, economic growth in the last few years, we've seen we've seen some improvement. Uh, we've seen some some good things. Uh, there there are two implement. Im, I'm sorry. There are two implications of the uh, predominant approach of decarbonization, uh, uh, especially on uh, those countries, uh, those net zero those countries that have net zero uh, ambitions. Uh, the first uh, is as electricity production presents the largest single source of CO2 emissions, the past gains in emission uh, reduction have primarily been, been achieved, but the replacement of fossil fuels by, by the replacement of fossil fuels with electricity. Uh, although the governments are, as the next step, moving toward uh, the, the renewal based on electrification of an entire society, there is evidence that the direct, that kind of direct electrification may not be possible for both technical and, and economic uh, reasons. Uh, and we talked this basically in, in a previous episode, there are areas what, that uh, Oxford calls them hard to abate sectors that, that, that are outside of electric generation. And, and those, yeah, yeah. And, and these are basically heavy industries what, that require high temperature uh, and, and, and which have significant process emissions. Uh, Very true. And plus, if you add to that mobility, if it's an aircraft, how do you capture CO2 there? Yeah, you know, exactly. unless hydrogen exactly. or, or electric shipping. And just some of these, like cars, yes, we have EV cars because we are on the ground. We can charge it. But in, in, in marine industry, how do you charge it? You're in the, in the sea or you're in the sky for an aircraft. Sorry, well, I interrupted and, you. And if we, if we, we just basically, basically look at, at industry, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, we've we've talked before that about half of the CO two emissions come from uh, uh, industries of steel, cement, ammonia, and and uh, ethylene production. Uh, and in those in those, it isn't going to work just to change the fuels. What kind mm -hmm. of fuel you do is that that won't. Uh, they they all require a basic. A change in process. Um, an example: If you're going to change it, uh, it change from fossil fuels, uh, they're going to be generating high temperatures. Uh, you, you've got to change furnace designs, for example. And the, and the other piece of that is that that all of these pieces are all so highly integrated that you can't just change the process in one piece. It affects all the other pieces that are that are really connected with it. Uh, I think that's a very valid point because the complexity is much more than an individual yeah. piece. 
Exactly. And, and then the second implication of, of just sort of addressing on efficiencies and on electricity uh, is, uh, is there, there has been sort of a, almost a total disregard for a, a really major uh, element of this, and that is the globalization of trade, uh, supply chains, and the, the spatial uh, uh, disassociation between places of extraction, uh, production, and consumption. Uh, uh, th there's no longer any any specific boundaries for net zero carbon uh, targets. Uh, it, it's it's never really been defined, uh, and coordination between jurisdictions, uh, even even. <laughs> even in the same national borders it has just has just been difficult i think these are very valid points i uh, we are unfortunately we are at the end of our fourth segment uh fourth segment now sorry and uh, we will continue this discussion because it's very intriguing in uh, our next episode so thank you so much for joining today absolutely and i'll say our next our next logical discussion has to be around this idea of macro impact of, of decarbonization. That really take us, that need, that's the next level it has to go to. Exactly. That's a very important fact that everybody should look at. And thank you so thank much. You. You've been listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. We hope you'll tune in for another edition of the program next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a good week.